Glad you're with us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Speaking of which, is it a rip-off buying a lottery ticket with all the buzz that's going on right now about Mega Millions? I'll give you some information you may not want to know in today's Clark Rageous Moment. And later, wow, even cities in Florida getting snow and a storm roaring up the East Coast is going to cause a lot of problems for people. What are things that if you were hit with unaccustomed cold weather that you should be about and you should do? How do you properly prepare for something that well that was supposed to happen somewhere else not where i am and talk about that later right now though i don't know if you heard the stock market continues to climb to the sky the thing that the media talks about the dow jones industrial average broke twenty-five thousand. that is a reflection of a mathematical formula weighing the value of 30 stocks in the United States. And so the Dow, for some reason, the media reports on that. It's not a significant index. The one that matters is the one called the S&P 500, which accounts for uh, 500 largest publicly traded companies in the country. The weighting of the index, more sophisticated, and it's more relevant to most of us that would own stock the way most people do, either through mutual funds or through a retirement plan at work. So the reality is, though, almost regardless of how you measure it, the stock market has had an incredible run over the last nine years. Stock market reached its modern low in late winter of 2009. And now, nine years later, is up by more than four times what stock values were just nine years ago. Now, I've never seen a time that people that are investors were less excited about stock market values than they are right now. A lot, a lot of fear that there's impending doom coming, but I will tell you that based on what's happened in recent history, that the time that you should be freaked out as an individual investor or somebody with a retirement account with money invested heavily in stock-type choices is when people are crazy excited rather than a time like now where people are very nervous who play in this game every day as investors. And the reason that people who are investors are nervous is because the value of stocks after being so, so depressed nine years ago have been on a virtual continuous upward climb to the point that stock values now are potentially significantly overvalued by traditional measurements, but not crazy weird, speculative, overvalued. It means that we are very likely at some point 
in the future to have what's known as a bear market. That's where you have a decline of 20% or more. The thing is, when's that going to happen? Next week, next month, next year, nobody knows. So you have to go with a plan. You have to have a strategy. And if you're putting money in through a retirement plan at work or through periodic money going into a Roth IRA or periodically putting money in a mutual fund account, as long as you're doing that with a goal that is far off in the future, who cares? Ignore the good noise when there's good noise. Ignore the bad noise when there's bad noise. And just know that over time, as companies create and innovate, as individuals invent, as new products and services come to market, ultimately it creates more wealth for owners. And so it's about playing the long game, not the short game. On the other hand, if you have money that you know you're going to need that's in stock type choices, that you're going to need to spend in months rather than years, that money is money that is too risky to have in stocks or in stock type investments. So you really have to think about where you're going, where you're headed. Now, here we are with values very fully priced. And I want to take you back to 08 and 09, where every single day on the show, I got call after call from people saying, what should I do? Should I sell everything? And I'd say, well, that depends. When are you going to need money? And when people needed money off in the future, I said, just sit still. A lot of people didn't listen to that. Those who did and toughed it out have now more than quadrupled their money from where things were at the bleakest moments last decade. So just chill. Remember what your goal is. Make sure you're well diversified and you're fine. And if you don't know what being well diversified means, all that simply means is when you own an index fund where you can own little pieces of hundreds or thousands of companies, that is one form of being diversified. Another, though, is owning things other than stocks, whether through a mutual fund or however, owning uh, could be investment real estate or any of a number of things where the more you spread out what you do with your money, the lower your risk is when bad times do come. And eventually, bad times do come. But know that over the long haul, being an owner is key to creating wealth. Ernie's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ernie. Hey, Clark. How are you doing today? Great. Thank you, Ernie. So you're being offered a promotion at work. Is that right? That is correct. I, um, I haven't been with the same company the entire time, but a little bit of background information. Since I've graduated college, I've always held positions that have offered company vehicles. So I've always been given a vehicle, never had to purchase my own vehicle. And this promotion is in-house, so I'm being pulled out of the field. I'm actually in an office space now, and unfortunately, they're taking my car away. So I hope the promotion's good enough that you overcome the loss of the value of that vehicle. 
It is. It is. Okay. Unfortunately, my negotiation skills, I think, uh, aren't up to par because I didn't get to keep it when I asked for it, but they did allow me to take it until April. So that's part of the reason I was calling is because I've never had the, uh, never been in a position where I had to go out and actually purchase a car. And I've, I've seen a lot of friends of mine lease vehicles over the past few years and speak highly about that process. And also people who have bought brand new and uh, have been able to kind of go in and really pick and choose what they want and have walked out with 0% APR and some other bells and whistles. And so I'm just curious what the best route is for myself. Well, so far you haven't named a multiple choice that I'm excited about. Okay. Because multiple choice A was leasing a car, which yep. um, I suddenly started shallow breathing when you said that. Oh, no. And then the second thing you said, buying a new car, in your case – with the fact that your work pattern and work history has been that you tend to end up with a position where you have a company car, I wouldn't want you, even though right now you're going to be in an inside job that will not call for a company car, with your history, you may well in the future end up with a company car again. Correct. So I wouldn't want you, you never want to do a lease in a case like that because then you're in a contract where you're committed for a period of time. I wouldn't want you to buy a new car because the problem with a new car is that the second you buy it, it loses enormous value in the first two years. Sure. So the smart place for you and for many people, if you're just looking at dollars and cents, is multiple choice option C that you didn't say, and that's to buy a used car. Sure. And I'll tell you, the, the only reason I didn't mention that, and I was hesitant, is, you know, my wife actually had to, she needed a car recently, has a great credit score. We put money down. We actually had a trade-in as well. And for some reason, I mean, we couldn't get um, a bank or even the dealership's um, folks to give her anything lower than like 6%. Okay. And so... So you're missing a word. Okay. Actually, it's two words. Credit union. Okay. Credit unions write car loans much cheaper than banks do, typically one and a half points or more below what a, credit, what a bank writes a loan for, and usually three to four points lower than what a car dealer will write a loan for. Perfect. And you don't have to necessarily be a member? Of no, I want union. you to go join a credit union. Oh, got you. And if you look at, uh, you can find credit unions near you pretty easily at cuna.org. Okay. I'll repeat that again, cuna.org. And you can then, before you join one, go look at their websites. And credit unions, because they're, they're, they're co-ops, they're owned by their members, they post for you right there what their interest rates are on products. And so you can see right away what a good credit score would equate to in terms of a car loan interest rate. Okay, perfect. And, and when you're looking you for a vehicle, I've got step-by-step step on Clark.com how I want you to go about buying a used car. Okay. And the thing that's mandatory, no matter where you buy a used car, is you need to have it checked out by a mechanic of your choosing. Absolutely. Not your friend who likes tinkering with cars. Got it. That makes sense. But you buy used, and the beauty of it is that somebody else paid all that depreciation, all that loss in value, 
as the initial purchaser, and it puts you in a position, let's say a year or two from now, you're offered a new company car, and you have to sell the used one you bought, the hit to your wallet is relatively tiny, where if you buy new, the hit to your wallet can be many, many thousands of dollars. And I neglected, Ernie, to say one thing. Do you know what that is? Hit me with it. Congratulations on your promotion. Oh, I really appreciate it. And I, before you sign off, uh, I appreciate you and your team and your insight. I mean, multiple sales roles and a lot of windshield time, and you're typically the podcast that's a go-to. Well, I am so glad, and I'm glad that you have been able to learn along with us and continued success to you. John joins us on the Clark Howard Show. John, you have a Costco that just opened near you. Yeah, I do. Thank you so much for having me, Clark. Sure. So your home value probably went up 50% once you were within a few <laughs> minutes of a Costco. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wish. But uh, yeah, for many years we had a had, had Sam's and it just wasn't convenient. And, and then we heard in October that this was going to be opening up. So I, I jumped right on it. And how do you like it? Uh, we go there too much. My wife probably goes there about three or four times a week. So, um, you know, and then especially Saturdays, the free sample day is always fun to go to. <laughs> three or four times a week. That's funny. That's... <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, we don't travel much. We don't um, take advantage of a lot of the services. And I'm just wondering, we got the executive membership. And um, I, they've always said if we switch, you know, go down to gold, that they would refund us, you know, half the half the cost of the membership. And I just don't know—is there something else that I'm missing that I should keep the executive membership? Okay, so for? what what I recommend the executive membership is 120, the regular membership is 60, but yeah. they rebate two percent of everything you purchase over the course of a year. Okay. If you get through your first year's membership as an executive and you haven't saved more than $60, they'll refund the difference to you. Oh, okay. So there's no benefit in you downgrading until you're through that first year. And if it's not generating enough savings for you, if you're not spending enough to make 60 or more dollars back, then from that point forward, yeah, maybe you become a regular member. But for now, you paid the 120 know that it's not at risk, that extra 60 but you could be rewarded more than you realize. And if you're spending too much at Costco, follow my rule. Don't get a cart when you come in the door. Then you're carrying stuff around in your arms. You don't buy as much. Okay, I want you to daydream for just a minute. If you won $500 million, what would you do? Joel, you're looking at me with these funny eyes. What would you do if you suddenly had $500 million? Would it be the last time I'd ever see you? <laughs> no, I don't think my life would change very much. I really don't. No difference in your the life. The only thing that would change is that everyone would come to you wanting money, I think. that. So I would prefer not to win it, honestly. You know, people do that mind game with the Mega Millions... Uh, a huge pot right now and the thing is is we daydream what we would do what island we would buy in the caribbean or whatever but do you know the odds of winning sorry somebody's got to tell you this one in over 300 million so 
If you want to daydream about everything you can win and what you do with all that money, see, I would think, oh, I'd get a private jet, but then I'd freak myself out what it costs to maintain and fuel a private jet. So I don't, it wouldn't change anything for me. But anyway, you may have all these ideas, but what distresses me so much is when I see people going into a convenience store taking hard-earned money that they need to live on and saying, well, there's a chance, right? One in 300 million. And you take money you need for food or for daily expenses and put it on tickets? Uh Uh-uh. You want to take some throwaway money and take a chance because you just got to be luckier than lucky could be lucky? Do that. But it would be Clark-rageous for you to spend money you really, really need on any lottery ticket ever. I'm so glad you've taken time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our main website. ClarkDeals.com, where you go to save money. And no matter where you turn right now, people are talking about the cold weather, snow in places that never see snow. friend of mine in Florida texted me yesterday and asked me where to get snow tires and i explained to him that there weren't going to be any but that most tires you buy now are all weather and that he'd be okay if he had to drive somewhere but he should probably not drive somewhere so you know it is it is an unusual event because If you live in a part of the country that usually gets a lot of cold weather and snow, it's the intensity of what's been going on and continues to happen that is tough. I mean, when kids in New England are not being allowed to go to school, you know that these are tough conditions. But it's for people who live in states where this doesn't normally happen. I don't know if you saw any of the pictures from Charleston, South Carolina, with deep snow in Charleston and zero snow plows anywhere in evidence, anywhere near Charleston. Why would there be? And cold temperatures beyond what people are used to. Last night, there was a pipe that I think is in our bathroom that was making a banging noise, like, yeah, just banging away. Like somebody was taking another pipe and hitting against it or something. So I don't know what kind of agony that pipe was suffering. And I have to hope that when it gets warmer, that pipe doesn't burst and give me agony in the wallet with water. I've been through situations where I've had water pipes burst after unexpected cold weather, and no fun at all. So there are some basic precautions if you live really Virginia south. A lot of people live in areas where the houses are not insulated for deep cold except for very short cycles of it, and these have been long cycles. And one thing you should do, you hear about dripping faucets, that doesn't mean just a little drip, drip, drip. It means like a steady stream. Doesn't have to be a thick one, but a steady stream. And open cabinets, like in bathrooms, 
if you have a vanity, is it called a vanity, I guess, the sink's in? Open those doors in a kitchen. Open the doors around the sink so that cold air makes the house colder, but it makes the pipes warmer because that is such a hassle. And if you do not know where the shutoff is for water to your house, find out and find out before a pipe decides that it's time to flood your home. So that, because at that point, when you suddenly have water, the quicker you can shut that off, the better. And so simple steps are so very, very important for you to take. Your car, what things should you do if you're looking at potentially going out Well, we've got a briefing on Clark.com about the proper way to deal with winter with your car because you don't want to be out there exposed in danger in a case where uh, you don't have proper supplies, you're not properly prepared, and just too much danger to you and your family. So be smart about it. And if you're planning to travel by air in the next 48 hours, even if you live in an area not anywhere near this Arctic cold, your flight may in fact be canceled or delayed because the way the nation's air travel system works and the way planes move around, your plane could end up affected by what's happened elsewhere in the country. So you want to check, use the app for whatever um, airline you're flying, or better yet, use flightaware.com, flightaware.com. Often, you'll know with FlightAware before an airline knows that your flight has been delayed by weather. And so that's a great one to use. And before you go to an airport to catch a flight, See where the plane is right now. Recently, I was on a flight that the airline app showed the flight was on time. I went to FlightAware and looked where the plane was. The plane had not even left the prior airport that it was flying from and was delayed by multiple hours. So why inconvenience yourself by rushing to an airport? I mean, you really have to love airports to want to be stuck in one. And most people, well, that's not one of the places you have high on your list that you want to be stuck. Although I do love airports. Larry's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Larry. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. Larry, you're looking for a way to earn more on your money. I am. What are you thinking Uh, of doing? Well, my original plan is to... um buy a vacation rental a couple of hours north of me where I like to visit and uh, that way I'll have it on the weekends during the off season well you know I, I love rental properties and how far away would you be from this property it's a, it's a two hour drive and I would certainly uh, expect to have a management company uh, you know manage it during during the rental season. All right. So 
I'll tell you how I look at these things where you buy a property that is you intend to be a vacation destination for yourself Mm -hmm. and you're also trying to make an economic argument that through rentals when you're not using it that it'll be a winner the way I've always thought of it myself and I encourage you to think about it is that you buy a place like that with the assumption that you're going to have zero dollars of rental income and you buy it for your own enjoyment and then whatever money you can generate from renting it out through a, a management company is found mm-hmm. money. Yeah. In other words, if you can't justify owning it, even if there's not a penny of rental income, you shouldn't buy one that in these kind of circumstances. Okay. Because well, if you're interested in investment real estate, you go all in, buy a property uh, in your area, you get your tenants for it, you screen them well, you manage the property, you make money on it. Right. Well, when I was speaking to my mortgage uh, broker about uh, getting a, a vacation rental, uh, he asked me how many properties I wanted to buy, and I just kind of laughingly uh, you know, said one. But after the conversation, I started thinking, well, maybe I'll get a a rental near me to make money on after this after I buy this vacation rental if it does well and so I posted a question online um, just a general question how, how do you like being a, a landlord and should I do it at my age I, I'm you know approaching retirement I'm 58 well if so you're in good health if you're in good health and you don't mind handling a rental property, I'll tell you, I love rental properties. I bought my yeah. first rental property as a foreclosure in 1978, yeah. and I still own that property. And so I, I, it's hard to get me to say why it would be a bad idea to own a rental property. Yeah. Because well, it's... Re- go ahead. Some of the responses that I got back didn't have anything to do with rental properties. They said, why would you want to be a landlord when you can invest in mortgage notes, either non-performing or performing? Mortgage and, notes. Oh, man. Nobody's asked me about mortgage notes in a while. Yeah. So mortgage notes are something that can be a high-risk venture Yeah. because you're taking on loans that people could not go to a traditional lender to place those notes. And uh, you, have, you have a very heightened level of risk owning private mortgage notes. And so it, that's, that's a whole different thing. Yes, you're not having to manage a property. You're not having to manage tenants. But you're taking on a very high-risk venture Many times with interest rates that are uh, significantly higher, potentially, but unless you own the note directly, you're only given a portion of the interest that's being charged to the borrower. Um, I see. I like like to keep things simpler, and 
I like for you to think in terms of where you were originally thinking, and that is, how would you feel about going out there and digging and looking for a deal on a property that would be an appropriate rental property? How do you feel about having to go through the process of screening tenants? How do you feel about if somebody doesn't pay their rent, having to go through the eviction process? And how do you feel about somebody calling to tell you that the toilet's broken at 3 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not for me while, while I have a full-time job. Okay. So if that's not your thing, then I think that um, – that getting involved with real estate right now probably is not the right move on your part and that it would be better to stand down on that. But as far as the uh, mortgage notes, that is a very difficult game to do well in and I would discourage you from getting involved in that because I'm not even going to go into all the hazards that happen with people holding these private notes and i'm sorry i'm gonna totally botch your name is it proloy is that right yes hi proloy how are you today how are you i'm okay good how can i be of service to you yeah i'm a big fan of yours a long time listener a first time caller uh, I have a question about savings for retirement uh, through the micro-investment companies that take little money for investment, and you can uh, control them uh, through your app, uh, your, uh, through your phone. Uh, how do you think about that? I have, uh, I'm a big fan of your, uh, the four companies you recommend for, for investment. Um, one of them, I already have account, not uh, IRA. I want to open a Roth IRA. So what's your take on that for opening that kind of account? So doing one of the ones where you get the app on your phone and you can do micro-investing in stocks with your change and whatever money yes. you want to put in? Yes. I love that. And they all pretty much use the same business model. You pay a dollar a month to invest with them. They invest in ultra, ultra low-cost uh, either index funds or exchange-traded funds that are indexes and stash is um is one of them and another that uh is there there are actually several of these there's one called acorns which i've yeah. talked about before that is saving money and investing and so with these it is a great way to build a habit of saving and investing Okay. I already have investment with those companies, but I'm just thinking about when it's come to uh, uh, the retirement and IRA, how serious they are about it. So I think it's fine to do a, a Roth with one of these apps, but again, it's only for someone who's trying to put away small amounts of money. If you've already looked at my investment guide and you're looking at doing investing or Roths, how much money do you have you can put aside at a time? Uh, monthly, about $500 uh, for IRA. And oh, then in that case, you don't want any of these apps. Just go straight okay. to one of the low-cost companies. You know, Go to Vanguard or Schwab or Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, any of them, and you can put your money to work. And you, know, you can do 5500 each year into a Roth. The amount you're putting aside is perfect for that. 
I have another question. I have a 401k Roth, uh, not I have 401k through my company with no match. Uh, but those companies are not the four you mentioned. Is it uh, is it worthy to keep on investing on that 401k or just... just if there's no match, I would put my first goal at getting 5500 into a, a Roth IRA with a low-cost company, one of the four I've got there, and then only put beyond the 5500 in the 401k at work that has no match. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. And that way you're able to do tax-free investing where you're uh, putting the most efficient money to work first in your Roth IRA that's low cost, and then in your non-low cost Roth 401k, you're able to put aside more money that grows tax-free. It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at Clark.com. Producer Joel, ask it for you. Clark Lucille wants to know, how do I stop all the spam cell phone calls I'm getting? I get at least 15 calls a day right now. Yeah, this is like a plague on all our houses. So if you're getting that many, you're not with T-Mobile because T-Mobile has been using an innovative software package that is done, I think, in part by Hiya, which H-I-Y-A, which is an app you can download regardless of who your cell phone provider is your, or your service provider. And Hiya has like a hot list of call num- numbers from scammers, and they block them for you, or they alert you, suspicious call or whatever it will say, and... So that's a way that you'll be able to eliminate a lot of the hassle. My answer is even simpler. I don't answer a call if I don't recognize who's calling. All right, Clark. Dominique says, I'm buying a house and I'm looking at the loan disclosure. I see a title insurance that's costing $1,300. Is it necessary for me to buy that insurance? Well, first of all, you were required to buy title insurance to protect the lender. What that does is if there's ever any challenge to your success, your actual ownership of the property, which would usually involve something prior to you ever being involved, it steps in and protects the lender. You should actually, beyond what you have to pay, pay an additional amount for what's known as owner's title, which protects the money you have put into the deal and into the house over the years. And if there's already a lender's policy, yours shouldn't be terribly expensive. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark Smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel Escape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to Clark.com slash newsletters.